0: You're listening to a sermon by New Hill Church. We pray this message helps you put Jesus into perspective. If you have any questions about this message or a relationship with Jesus, email us at engage at newhilloh.com. Hey church, hope you all are having a good week. I'm here in the office today and I'm putting up the sermon now. We lost our recording. No need to weep because we're getting it to you uh, midweek. I just wanted to come and give you guys pretty much a a recap. I don't want to leave you all hanging, especially those of you all who may have missed Sunday or you follow along with our series from wherever you are. Maybe you attend a different church. Maybe you're a friend of ours at a distance and you like to just follow along with our series. Whatever it might be, we wanted to make sure that we could get this for you so you could stay up to date with our series, Resurgence, as we go through the book of Nehemiah. So I hope you all have enjoyed this series so far. Nehemiah is a, a, a really good series. It's a really good just book and we're watching Nehemiah. We've seen in the first two weeks as we've gone through the first chapter and a half that Nehemiah's seen this brokenness. Uh he's he's prayed to God. He's been he's been broken over the brokenness. He's taken his request to God. He's leveraged his position for the gospel. Uh we saw at the beginning part of chapter two as he went to the king and and he made a, a bold move by going to a king who could have had him killed. Uh, for doing such a thing, but he took his request and faith. So that's where we are. We're picking up here in chapter two, verse nine. Um, today, we're going to pick it up in, in verse nine. And the main point I want you guys to be thinking about as I read this text to us is we need to execute the plan. So again, we've seen in those first, uh, the first chapter and a half that Nehemiah hears this report of this brokenness. So now he's got to actually go and do something about it. He's broken over it. He's, he's even had the, the king has um, accepted his request. He's done even more than just let him go. And we're going to find out that he, he does much more for him than what Nehemiah even asked. And it picks up here in verse 9. Nehemiah says, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Samball the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem, and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by the night. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins, with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servants uh, servant and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, his servants, will arise and build, but you will have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. That's God's word. Let's just be in an attitude of prayer wherever you are right now before we go any further. Father God, thank you so much um, just for the ability to, to be able to record these sermons again, to, to be able to share your word um, with people, um, saints, wherever they might be, that we could we could rally around your word because of what you've done for us through your son, Jesus. We are united together in this moment, and I pray that you would just show us your word, God, that Your your words would just, again, jump off the pages at us, God, that you would illuminate the truths that we need to see from your word, God, what the intended meaning would be behind this text, God, and that we would, we would be encouraged, God, to, to go forth and take your good news into the broken world. So God, be with us wherever we are. Encourage us and lead us on this mission that you've called us to do. It's in Jesus name that we pray. Amen. All right. So again, the main point is execute the plan. Right? There's no point in praying, crying, complaining if we aren't going to step up. See, Christians are called to, to work and work hard in this life. And though God's hand or favor was upon Nehemiah, Nehemiah now needed to execute the plan. It doesn't take long to see that God's hand um, was or favor right, is, is really what that means. Uh, it doesn't take long to get into Nehemiah to see that God's favor was upon him. You see in verse 8 there in chapter 2, um, right after getting permission from the king, it says, And the king granted me. What I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. So Nehemiah sees that this isn't something that he's just good at persuasion, right? He's not good at just convincing the king. He knows that the true king, the king of all kings, his God is behind the scenes working on his behalf. And and that's what we need to understand when we are called to something greater than us, which we've been in Christ Jesus, been called to something greater than us. Then we have a God who is working on our behalf for our good and for his glory. So we have to execute the plan. And Nehemiah knew that. It's just like professional sports teams. Um, Really didn't get into sports until moving to Cleveland. That's when I really adopted um, the culture and got into especially the Browns. I love football now. I love uh, enjoying the misery with those in Northeast Ohio. Um, But there's something really unique about football is, is that they are evaluating every play of every opponent. They look back and they've got people who check every snap and see what every player on the field was doing in that moment and what exactly transpired based on that formation, based off of that player being in the game at that time. And it's called a game plan or a scheme, right? You have to come up with a plan and then you execute that plan. You see, this is tough for us to understand in Brown's story because the Browns haven't really had a true plan uh, since their plan to return to Cleveland, right? And we can laugh at that and we can think it's funny, but the, the plan. Plans themselves involve studying, preparing, but a plan is pointless. Even if the owner provides all kinds of talents and resources needed, they can go out and get John Dorsey, who's supposed to be a great GM. They can go and get Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham Jr., Baker Mayfield, uh, Miles Garrett. We can go and we can, even in the church, we could pull in... um, rc scroll back from the dead we can bring in jonathan edwards john calvin billy graham we can bring all these guys back we can even rally matt chandler and john piper into the mission here in madonna ohio but if we don't go out and actually do something it won't matter so god is is leading the way but we church are called to step up and execute this plan and just like every sports team christians also face opposition so we are called to execute the plan despite the opposition um, a lot of us, we can even think in spite of opposition, right? We see the opposition and we, we do it in spite of that. Um, but regardless, we are called to execute this plan. And whenever you read the the narrative of the Bible, one thing, many things are very clear. And one of those things is that God's people face opposition. Second Timothy 3.12, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul says, indeed, there's no doubt about this, that, that if we desire, it's not those who Um, maybe want to live a life, those who desire, right? And if you don't desire a Christian life, we have another conversation that we need to talk about, another sermon that needs to be preached. But those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's no question about this. When we are pursuing the will of God, we will face opposition. And that's exactly what happens there in verses 9 and 10. Nehemiah not only begins his journey having received the blessing from the king, but he receives an escort. It's like those, those police escorts that look so cool when they're going down the interstate and you've got five police cars and like a limo um, in between all those uh, police cars and they're just driving down the road. One thing I always thought was cool was when they transfer military equipment, and you've got the, like, those hummers and you've got like army men hanging out like the side of the car. Like that looks really cool when they do that. It's exactly what Nehemiah got, though he didn't ask for this protection. He didn't ask for it as if he was afraid, but it was surely the provision, the providing from the Lord. And remember, verse eight, the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my Lord or favor was upon me. Nehemiah knew this wasn't going to be an easy project, but God knew exactly what he would face. And he was providing and protecting for him. So then you see in, in verse ten, this is where uh, a few details that we're gonna need to really focus in on moving forward in this series. Now he sees these, these two men, Sanballat and Tobiah, right? These two men hear about the plans and they're immediately angry. They get mad, right? They're they're displeased about what exactly is going on, and and Ballot, he's like the state up north to Nehemiah. For us in Ohio, we understand what the state up north is. It's Michigan. We get that from Ohio State football. What I'm saying is Sam Ballot becomes the rival, continually opposing and antagonizing Nehemiah and his work of rebuilding the wall in the community in Jerusalem. And even though he isn't Sam Ballot isn't given the title of governor over Samaria here specifically in this text, we understand that this is a position.
1: And history attests to it. So I want to ask you guys a question. Wherever you are, did the Jews love the Samaritans? No. We actually
0: understand this, this rival goes deep. right? We don't even just have to look here. We can look in all of the Old Testament. Then we look into Jesus' time, the woman at the well. Like, Why was this such an, an interesting time for Jesus when he goes to serve this woman at the well? They weren't friends. They didn't get along. They were rivals. Then you have Tobiah, the servant. This indicates that he had been a slave at some point in time and is now in a position elevated, an elevated position over Samaria. And then funny enough, for these men, they both have ties to Yahweh, even though they oppose Yahweh, his people, and the work. Sambalit's children's names were related to some form of worship to the God of Israel. And Tobiah's name itself is actually it means Yahweh is good. However, these men would prove themselves to be far from worshiping the one true God. These men, Sanballat specifically, would seek to destroy Nehemiah and his plan to rebuild the walls and community of Jerusalem. Now, I can only imagine, and and hopefully we can kind of put ourselves in the shoes of of Nehemiah, that you're going, you you have this thousand mile, roughly, uh, trip, this journey, to go back and begin this work that you know that God has called you to do, and then you face this opposition, the discouragement, the, the things that can run through your head when you think that you're following the will of God, but yet you have people opposing you and trying to put an end to what you were doing. But to remember in that moment, the words in Joshua 23, 9, for the Lord has driven out Before you, great and strong nations, and as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. To remember that our God goes before us, our God has won the war, right? And that we can remember that, and we can remember the strength of our God, that when we are following the will of God, we will face opposition, but we know, we know that we are doing something good, and we should not back down to opposition. In that time, in the Old Testament, they had seen firsthand God drive away enemies, defeat their enemies for them in war right and we too church should not back down to opposition we should not write off the vision that god has laid before us we should not water down our message when people begin to oppose what we would have to say we should not stop this spiritual resurgence because people people want to push back at us let us church not be let us let us be church unashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Paul writes in Romans 1 16. we execute the plan despite the opposition, or in spite of the opposition. But we must assess the brokenness before you execute any plan. This is really point number two. So the the main point: execute the plan. The follow up supporting point: despite the opposition, we execute the plan despite the opposition. Point number two to support this is we assess the brokenness. You can't execute any plan unless you've assess the brokenness, assess the damage. Before you execute any plan, make a plan by assessing the damage. That's what Nehemiah does here. He assesses the damage. I was in a car accident back in 2016 and I called my insurance agent, talked to him, told him how bad the damage was. They said, don't worry. We got you covered. You're covered. Don't worry about it. All we need to do is send someone out to assess the damage and we'll go from there. That's what Nehemiah is doing. He's got a report, right? It's been told to him. He's like the insurance agent. They send a report. They tell him, hey, Nehemiah, this is, it's a broken situation. He hears people remember back in the first three verses of Nehemiah 1. He hears of this report. He goes and he inquires about it. Oh, you came back from Jerusalem. How's everything going? Like they left years ago. Surely they're worshiping God by now. The temple's rebuilt. The walls are rebuilt. Like everything's groovy in Jerusalem, only to find out it's not. So he's got to go and assess this damage. Then we look in verse 11 so I went to Jerusalem and it was there for 3 days. This is really follows along that 3 days rest. It's interesting. They've got this huge journey. It's like a magic number apparently. Ezra 8:32 shows us that Ezra also after this long journey rested for 3 days. But contrary to Ezra, we see in verses 12 to 15 that Nehemiah doesn't do um doesn't start off publicly, right? Ezra went about his business very publicly. Nehemiah works privately as he assesses the situation. Nehemiah will take his work publicly. He will go and boldly proclaim what God is doing. But he takes a moment to assess this damage and see what they are going to do. So that they don't end up in the same position as Ezra where they get a little bit done and then fall back. Nehemiah wants it to get done and get done once and for all. And that's what we see there in in verses 12 to 15. he goes in, out at night and he begins to inspect the gates. He takes just a few men with him. He, arise, he rises up in the night, grabs a few of his close people. Those guys that Nehemiah surely loves and trusts to have a clear vision and direction in which they can help assess the damage and the work that will need to be done. You see here in verse 12, Nehemiah says, I told no one but oh my God to put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. And I can tell you, church, from personal experience, answering the call to come and play to the church in Medina, Ohio, is you don't want to, to just, you kind of get this feeling and you throw it out there. Hey, I feel like God's doing this without thinking about it, without praying about it, without going and assessing what exactly God might be doing in your life, what he might be calling you to. We, when Aubrey and I were coming to Medina, we began to take date nights, began to just enjoy the town, enjoy what it had to offer. Because what can happen is we, we throw out these ideas, they get hijacked. They, be, they, they begin to not focus on the will of God, but the will of man. Because so many people have their, their hands in the cookie pot, right? And everybody wants a cookie and everybody wants a piece of the pie. But Nehemiah decides we need to assess this damage. I'm not telling anybody we're going to get it done. But I need this time to figure out exactly why God's brought me a thousand miles back to Jerusalem. Why he's given me things that I didn't even ask for to provide for me.
1: And how can I get this done? So he begins checking out all these gates, and a few things I want to point out about these gates you see in verses 12 to 15.
0: You know This might usually go over our heads, but notice this. One, these are the southern gates. This shows us that the places up north were probably damaged so bad that there was not much left to survey. It was probably the weakest point for them in Jerusalem, and that was probably where they were attacked, meaning the walls to the north were probably more than likely non-existent. And then I want to focus on the severity here, specifically the dung gate. Write this down. Wherever you are, unless you're driving and it's unsafe for you to take some notes, write this down. The dung gate. And then think about our current situation here in America. You see, the dung gate was—it's the poop gate. You can Literally, it's just where straight up sewage would pass through this gate, which would make it very unpleasant. Not only is it already disgusting, but the place leads to a place of wickedness. This dump stream went into what's called the Hinnom Valley. This valley was a place where pagan worship happened by the means of child sacrifice. People would literally sacrifice their children there by making them pass through fire. And then literally this dump is on fire and they're taking their trash to this dump. They're taking their children as if they are part of the dump. And then sewage is going in there. This place reeked. It was horrible. Crap. Pagan worship. Child sacrifice. Constant fire. Gave it the name of Gehenna. And you can read about this. It it became a point that that you could point to Gehenna when you're in Jerusalem and, and, and point and say that that is like hell.
1: The gnashing of teeth, the constant fire, torment, separation from God's kingdom. Wherever you are, say Gehenna. Repeat, Gehenna. I feel
0: like Door of the Explorer telling you guys to repeat after me wherever you are, but it's very important to, to understand the severity of this situation. Gehenna. This is a Greek word you would find defined as hell. It sounds to me like hell. It seems like a literal living hell, and it is the perfect example of hell on earth for us to picture constant fire, torment, punishing, gnashing of teeth, separation. And yet it's flowing from God's land. From the place where people are supposed to be worshiping God within Jerusalem. Instead, there is a dump flowing to another dump of pagan worship. Surely this stands out to Nehemiah. He sees the depravity of Jerusalem. He sees the pits of darkness that lie here in this ruined city. There's nothing like seeing people killing kids. There's nothing like seeing the worshiping of false gods. Nothing like allowing these things to happen. And it's happening so close to God's people and their kingdom see this church this is what should drive us to carry forward the gospel to fight on to bring hope and to go and to put jesus into perspective so church we execute the plan despite the opposition we assess the damage and point number three we rally the people this is what i want to read for us is, is verse 17 Then i said to them you see the trouble that we are in how jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned come let us Build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. We talked about that word derision back in um, chapter 1. Does it means shame. In verse 3, the remnant of, of verse 3 of chapter 1, the remnant there in the province of who had survived the exile is in great
1: trouble and shame. Same word for derision. So Nehemiah is telling them, look, that for the sake of not being left in shame, So that the the name of God may be
0: proclaimed and worshipped here in Jerusalem. Let's rebuild these
1: walls. And I want to challenge you right now. You see the trouble that we're in. Not just forget the big picture of America. Zoom
0: in. Focus in on our towns, our neighborhoods. And see the depravity. See the worship of other gods. See the worship of materialistic things.
1: We go on worshiping the created instead of the one who created all things. We see the darkness in our towns. We see the depravity. We see the
0: lostness. We can be broken by that. We can even be led to prayer, to cry out to God. For four months, like Nehemiah. But we have to begin. Push when push comes to shove, what are we going to do? Because God has Not giving us an option.
1: He told us, as you were going, go and make disciples. While you're going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. Church, we have an obligation to go and carry forth the word of God for the people of God. That people could experience. And in all of that darkness, I know
0: that we see a glimmer of hope that hope is the gospel
1: that we've experienced. And we are called to go and take it into the darkness. That the dark may no longer prevail, but God will. And then Nehemiah tells them what God had, had done for him. That the hand of
0: God had been upon him for good. And also the words of the king that he had spoken to him. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthen their hands for good work. And then they, they get a little bit of this pushback again from Sanballat and Tobiah. And then Nehemiah replies to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build, but you will have no portion or
1: right or claim in Jerusalem. So what plan do we have to execute? What plan do we have to execute, church? Taking the gospel to Medina and the ends of the earth. How? By engaging with people and putting Jesus in the perspective. Who can you begin to
0: engage with today to begin to rebuild the spiritual walls. And it starts in your life.
1: How do you feel like your spiritual walls are doing right now? Do you feel ready? Do you feel ready for the spiritual battle that you were called to walk into? Those are the walls that need built up first. And then we go out. Having put on the, the armor. Ready for battle. To bring God's word forth. That people might come into his kingdom. And then go back out. Themselves to put Jesus in the perspective. I hope you guys have found this to be an encouraging section of
0: scripture. For me, it's just leading me back into this this spiritual resurgence,
1: this revival, if you will, that we need to to rally together, to rise up, and go and do the work that God's called us to do. I look forward to seeing you guys again this Sunday. If you guys have any questions.
0: About this message, feel free to shoot us an email and engage at newhilloh.com. Look forward to to worshiping with you all this Sunday as we go through Nehemiah three. Go out, go ahead if you would, and read up, read chapter three before coming on Sunday, and we will see you there. Have a great week. Put Jesus in the perspective.